What I love most about Mi Gente is our community and how important it is to take care of our own. Hey, it's Honey and Carolina. On our podcast, Life in Spanglish, we talk about how important being there for your loved ones is. Pero también sobre lo importante que es tener a alguien dispuesto a apoyarte cuando lo necesites, como lo hace State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prinz Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm. Proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Custard TV podcast. You know, always if you hear my voice, that Luke is taking a well earned rest after our Christmas special and getting everything ready for the new uh, website uh, debuting, I believe, in the new year. Uh, joining me today, we have the ever-reliable and ever-free Sarah is here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> also joining us again, very recently, it's Will. How are you, yes, Will? I'm fine, thank you. It's good to be back. I seem to have been back much more frequently than um, in the past. I don't know whether... Um, Luke has been putting an embargo on me, and since he's been uh, he's been off, you've lifted that. It's embargo. basically like it's sort of because I'm doing a bit more of the booking now, I think, or just saying who wants to come on. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm always glad to come on, and always mm. glad to talk TV with you and whoever else is on as well. And Sarah was keen to discuss these programs, weren't you? Prior, yes. When we, when we last talked, things I was looking forward to. Apart, these are my Christmas apart from one of them. <laughs> We'll find out which one. Talking telly. This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. We are recording this uh, pre-Christmas, Wednesday afternoon as we record this. I just had to think what day it is. I was going to say, is it, does it, it doesn't yeah. feel like a Wednesday, but yeah. apparently it's a Wednesday. Well, because I'm working from home now, so every day just sort of melds into one. I've got my new all shiny laptop now, which has got facial recognition software. Ooh. So just the, the webcam will come on and recognise me and log me in. Oh my gosh, this, this sounds nice. a lot like one of the shows that we'll be discussing in a few moments. But it's also touch screen, so every time I go to sort of move it with the screen, it'll just go mental. It's all new technology and I can't cope with it, I'm too old, far too old. <laughs> I know, Sarah, you're going off to a cabin soon, aren't you, somewhere? Well, fingers crossed, can I have <laughs> prayers and good vibes for travel plans on the 23rd of December? I mean, what idiot chooses to travel on public transport on the 23rd of December in the middle of a pandemic? This idiot, this one right here. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I, Where is I it you're going or are you I'm not allowed to tell us? Yeah. Oh, okay. And how long are you there for? Five days, maybe a bit more if I go and see family. Okay. Obviously bringing all of my lateral flows with me so that I can keep myself and my family safe. Maybe like in a nice little necklace. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> genuinely though, genuinely, the little, the little, um, you know, the lateral flow test part where you finish with them. Mm. I quite fancy putting them on earrings. earrings. They'd be a real nice statement pair of earrings. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like not the ones where you've got COVID, the ones where you're clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how about you, Will? Are you all, all ready for Christmas now? Yeah. And all looking forward to Christmas and enjoying looking forward to uh, some of the TV that's going to be coming on, including uh, the stuff we're going to be discussing in today's podcast. Yeah. Oh, very good there, Will, keeping us on track. I like it. <laughs> so. Uh... <laughs> The shows we are talking about today, as we say, we're talking about a very British scandal, which is the new Sarah Phelps drama starring Claire Foy and Paul Bettany. We have got the new adaptation of Around the World in 80 Days starring David Tennant. Uh, We have The Girl Before, which is the big thriller that's been on the last few days, and The Mesotint, which is Mark Gatiss's ghost story that aired on Christmas Eve. Should we start with Around the World in 80 Days, and we'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll go first and set this one up. All right. Well, Around the World in 80 Days, um, adapted by Ashley Farrow, based on the novel by um, Jules Verne and starring David Tennant. This adaptation begins in 1872 when uh, Phileas Fogg, who is somewhat of an eccentric gentleman about town, as played by David Tennant, receives a postcard with the word coward on it and a newspaper article claiming that the world could be circumnavigated in 80 days. Now, uh, Fogg previously uh, thought about circumnavigating the world in 80 days, but put it off. He didn't even uh, leave England. Uh, he, he he didn't get far on his first attempt, which is something that he has been teased about by his friends at the Reform Club. However, with this new postcard with the word coward on it, he is spurred into action and challenges his friend Bellamy for the sum of £20,000, which is about a million in today's money, that he can circumnavigate the world in 80 days and return to London on Christmas Eve. Now, a waiter at uh, the Reform Club, uh, who's a a Frenchman, decides that he would rather like to come along uh, with Fogg on this journey. And the journalist who wrote the article, Abigail Fix, who is the daughter of um, Fogg's friend Fortescue, who owns the paper decides that she also wants to come on the journey to document it and to be able to publish it in her father's newspaper. So that's the basic premise of Around the World in 80 Days, a journey around the world against the clock so that Fogg can win the sum of £20,000 and prove his friends wrong. So this aired a double bill on Boxing Day. I believe it's going to be on Sunday nights. I would assume I wish I'd asked Luke because he knows all the all the scheduling and things like that. What did you make of this, Sarah? I thought that it was fun. It has an excellent supporting cast. I really like how this version of Fogg subverts the notions of empire. This great man doing great things out in the world, but actually he's a kind of weedy guy who's ill-prepared and is seasick, um, even though you can see the White Cliffs of Dover over his shoulder. He won't (laughs) even have been in the water for longer than 20 minutes. He's also then mugged by a French mob And then the people who get his stuff back for him, essentially his rescuers, I feel like he's mugged by them again. He has to pay off the nuns who help him. (laughs) So basically, I'm like, what is the point of this man? But I think by the end of this episode, we see that he is the heart 
the cowardly heart of this mission and also very much the banker. I found it really interesting that he begins by talking about how important it is to be prepared and to go into these things, you know, having considered all the options and all of this. But he starts on a whim with no notice and with no staff. Passepartout turns up because Passepartout wants to be there. He seems very much like the brains of the operation early doors. Um, I thought it was a little bit of a cliche in the fact that maybe, I mean, maybe the cliche comes from Jules Verne, people running off to Paris and getting stuck in a protest which turns violent, you know, I mean, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, Will, as a, as a politics student here, can surely back me up that <laughs> the... Uh, the notion of France being protesting all the time. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't actually true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cliche for sure. Do you know what, though? I was expecting to love it. The casting, the setup, the classic story. I was expecting to love it. And I did find myself a little bit bored halfway through. But then again, it's that sort of TV that you can have on for the whole family where you don't have to sort of pay too close attention to know what's happening. And maybe over Christmas, that's kind of a good thing. Also, you know, not to denigrate their efforts because it's an incredible achievement to have put together a massive show like this with a massive cast and loads of locations in COVID. Mm. I think, you know, everybody involved deserves praise for that. It was fine. Yeah. And, and maybe that is not what I wanted to feel about this. I, I genuinely wanted to love it. What did you think, Matt? You mentioned there you think it's for the whole family, but I was surprised by how violent, you know, you mentioned the French protest. There's a character gets gunned down in the first episode. <laughs> yeah. like, I was not expecting this. It was a bit of a kind of Wild West shootout, mm. wasn't it? And it I wonder if there, if there will be complaints obviously you know when it airs it is being promoted very heavily as this is the new family drama for Sunday nights first episodes going out 10 to 6 on Boxing Day it was a shock when like the second half of the episode was all these riots in France and you know these two characters fearing for their lives and and fog getting shot but being saved and all that but um do I, I, I has everyone just watched the first one? Because we had access to two. Have you just watched the first one, Sarah? Or... Yeah, didn't realise yeah. that I needed to watch two. No, you know, I haven't. I was just asking. <laughs> I was just because they're, they're, they're on. I wondered if anyone was intrigued enough to continue, I suppose. Will, were you? or? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I watched the two episodes. I mean, I enjoyed them. I, mm. I, I see what um, Sarah means. And, and, and I agree that in some ways it's perhaps not quite as much of a an action-filled romp as perhaps some people were expecting but I thought it was you know an entertaining enough piece of drama I think as Sarah mentioned all of the the people who've been casting it all the um, actors did uh, phenomenally well I think David Tennant gave a very good performance as a, a sort of cowardly Phileas Fogg a Phileas Fogg who um, is more forced to go on the journey around the world rather than perhaps necessarily entirely wanting to he he feels more provoked that he has to prove that he isn't someone who won't uh, do anything potentially risky um i thought that the uh, cinematography was great i thought Mm. there was some great uh period details as well in terms of the the settings and the costumes i thought it, it did really make you feel as if you were back in the 1870s but yeah generally a an enjoyable drama but perhaps one that 
may not be remembered for years and years to come, if you know what I mean. Yeah. One of those things that you watch at the time and, you know, you can enjoy it and have it on the TV during Christmas, but it might not be something that people come back to years and years later as a sort of like a identifiable classic. Without so you... spoilers, Will, what do, uh, this is probably the question you were just It's the same ask. question. Uh, without spoilers, Will, what did you think of the pacing of the second episode? Was that fun? Was it good? Yeah, no, I, th- I, thought, I thought it was good. I thought it did notch up a little bit in the second episode but again obviously because of the length of it, it's about eight episodes it isn't necessarily the best paced drama in that it does have to have sort of like pauses for breaks and character moments and all yeah i suppose that i shouldn't really be judging it so harshly on episode one because we had to set up three characters here didn't mm. we yeah. and we had to see that you know past part two's escaped a tragedy and I was surprised how quick we actually got out of London and, and got on the ferry. I was, I think it was about 15 minutes, wasn't it, until, you know, we started being around the world in 80 days. It is interesting that they've decided to adapt this because it's a story I think we all think we know. Sarah, you've said you've re- you read the book. I don't think I ever have. Um, I don't know about you, Will. Yeah, I've read it, but... You've um, I feel so yeah. uncultured now. I, I... <laughs> I'm assuming that we're all of an age where we know that the definitive version was the cartoon, cartoon. version. That was <laughs> well, I mean, I remember the, the theme tune and, and everything like that. Yeah. And yeah. I had signed lyrics by tune. Andy Crane. Andy Crane <laughs> yeah, in the broom re- cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have it somewhere in the house. Will's <laughs> like, who were they talking about? Andy Crane. Yeah, we've lost him now. In terms of the cast chemistry, I think they cast it really well. As you said, you're almost doing a uh, Wizard of Oz analogy there with the heart and the coward. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a little bit of everything. But, you know, I think very much Passport 2 is the sort of swashbuckling hero and, and Phileas Fogg is more the idiot abroad to an extent, isn't he? You know, like, Which not knowing... really nice to see, really yeah. nice to see, because this is a classic novel where mm. always the very cultured, very intelligent, sophisticated white Englishman would be the guy on top. But mm. it's not the case at all here, is it? We see that both the woman, the journalist, and Passepartout, the servant, are much more able and adept at, at looking after themselves than Fogg could ever be. And then he's a bit more rational, so he balances them out. And I think that first episode, as you say, they have to set up all the dynamics between the three of them, introduce sort of their backgrounds and, and things like that, and make them feel more than just caricatures. As you say, they could have easily been, you know, the token woman, the token sort of black guy. And I think that they are more than that. But I think I'm sort of more to your and Sarah in terms of I thought it was fine it looks fantastic they've done sort of very well to to make it during Covid I'm sure that the younger audience will very much appreciate it I would just like to say Will it's Ashley Farrow and Caleb Ransom just in case he's listening (laughs) (laughs) to to, uh, um diminish his efforts there uh, adapting it uh, but no I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it I think it, it does what it says on the tin I was perhaps a little bit surprised as I say by the level of violence in it but it did sort of counterbalance it with David Tennant being very good at slapstick so mm. first two episodes are up on iPlayer and I, I am making the assumption that this will be uh, a Sunday night drama shall we go to The Girl Before because I'm sure we've all got thoughts on that <laughs> so this is a new thriller based on the book by jp delaney it stars uh 
David Oelio, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, and former EastEnders actors Jessica Plummer and Ben Hardy. The latter two play Emma and Simon. They are looking for somewhere new to live. There's been a break-in in their home recently. Uh, they get showing this very plush, new, sort of modern, smart home. It's being rented out by Edward, this very exacting architect who has a long, long, long list of rules that everyone must abide by. There's one small cupboard. They can't have any clutter. They can't have any kids. They can't have any posters up on the wall, that sort of thing. Three years later, we have the other story with a lady called Jane, uh, who also ends up moving into this house uh, following a tragedy and has sort of similar feelings. Emma really liked the house. Jane really likes the house. But then Jane finds out that something sinister perhaps happened to Emma while she was there. And it's a case of then piecing back the story of Emma and finding out what happened to the girl before, as the title would suggest. (laughs) I'll go to you on this, Will, first. What were your thoughts? I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good in terms of it being an adaptation of a novel, kind of different from the, um, the previous novel adaptation that we were just discussing, because, of course... Around the World in 80 Days is seen as a sort of um, classic and um, not not to denigrate uh, the girl before, but perhaps not quite <laughs> the same sort of like, you know, seen well, as, seen don't as a be, classic. There's no need to be polite. I've looked the guy up and he's, <laughs> he's well known for writing airport novels, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make a no, good I'm, living out yeah. of that. You don't have to be, yeah. you know, a classic enjoyed by people for 200 years. No, no, no. But it, as, as exactly as Sarah was just saying that you can imagine picking this up in an airport and reading it and I think in terms of that it was it was okay it was enjoyable um what I found interesting about it is in a way similar to some of the dramas that we've talked about on the podcast before that have been adapted from novels is you can kind of tell in the way that they have been adapted that they're based on a novel like if you're watching it you can see where there are sort of like beats that you know, would um, echo out in the book and you can see them playing out in the book with sort of like flashbacks and things like that. And you can see that that is, you know, from a book as opposed to an original screenplay. I thought that the actors did a a good job. Uh, Gugu was in in quite a a few things. She was in Doctor Who back in 2007 as uh, Martha (laughs) Jones's sister, Tish. And um, she was also um, great in uh, the film uh, Bell about mm. uh, Dido Bell, um, which uh, I w- watched a few years ago, and she was great in that. I think she gave a, a you know a really good um, performance, and the other actors again gave good performances. But it's not something I felt necessarily compelled to watch because it feels like something that perhaps we've seen quite a lot of before. You know, if I didn't know that this was by um, J.P. Delaney, I could easily imagine it was one of those um, Harlan Coburn Netflix mm. series oh, yeah. you know, that we sort of like see so uh, quite often. And doesn't it feel quite odd that we've had so many dramas this year about people falling down the stairs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had Finding Alice. We had, what was that one called? Close, Close to, me. to Me. Yeah. yeah. Close to me. And I'm sure there was another one as well. Yeah. You know what this is, though, don't you? This is the pinnacle the culmination of the ITV house. Even though it's on BBC. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is the, the ITV house, if ITV had this budget for this amazing, like, mm. brutalist architecture. But you feel like this is on the same estate as Angela Black and <laughs> Hollington Drive and 
Finding yeah. Alice, there are all these these house dramas, and and this is yeah the culmination of. I mean, I think the house personally gave the best performance. <laughs> so, for me, it's a sort of a tale of two timelines because you're interspersed between the stuff with with Emma and the stuff with Jane, which happened three years apart. Both have gone through these tragedies, and it's almost as if the architect character is, is sort of picking up on this and, and sort of manipulating these women. Almost as if. You mean exactly yeah, like Exactly. It. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But like the man he, has a type, not just hair yeah. and how they look, but, yeah. you know, in a turmoil, the man has a type. I suppose what I'm saying is you wouldn't share that with your letting agent that, you know, <laughs> that so he... <laughs> So he must have prior, you know, he's done background checks on all the people he wants oh, to see does. his house. That's yeah. what I mean. As you say, well, Gugu and and David, who I I had a bit of a man crush on when I saw him at a screening. I saw him at a screening for something, and I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. It was a Channel Four drama about terrorism, and that's all I can tell you. <laughs> and he was playing like the MI6 agent in it, and he he's absolutely charming. And to see him play against type here is this creepy as you say, sort of this collection of women who look like his late wife uh, to replace. I mean, I think what J.P. Delaney is trying for here is like almost like a Rebecca type story. Mm. That's what it felt like to me. But in the scenes where you've got Emma and Simon, I just didn't get into Ben Hardy and Jessica Plummer at all. I found them dull. I didn't <laughs> I didn't feel like they're a couple, but I didn't even feel like they really liked each other very much. They didn't. That was <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Did you watch the last 10 minutes? They yeah. didn't like no, it. No, no, no. Well, she didn't like her a lot yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. But they it. just didn't seem, not, not even that they weren't attracted to each other, just like they didn't get on, you know, like, it's just like they didn't want to be in, this, in the same room as each other. Um, you know, it was just sort of zero. I've couples like that before. Though. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I think, <laughs> I don't think that was the point of the couple. I think it was the performances. You've got two sort of really strong actors and then you've got two people who've come from EastEnders. They weren't that good on EastEnders, really. <laughs> I think, you know, the design in this was fantastic and the, the housekeeper app that they've got, which chooses the music and tells them when there's too many people in the house and and stuff like that was quite good. Again, unless this, I missed that this was something that Edward had set up the scene where the police come in and say in front of her partner, oh, yeah, your your partner was raped at knife point. Just come into the house and say that without yeah. actually... Do you know what I mean? It mm, yeah. I, no, they it didn't... No, I'm sure they said to her, we need to have a word about this. And she went, no, no, it's fine, whatever. They then went, oh, and there's something else. We oh, found... OK, yeah. No, that, that's I, I think what they wanted to tell her was we've arrested the guy... Mm. we'll just say this in front of your partner as well that you were raped and I just found that unless again that was something that he'd set up and they didn't make that clear I mm. thought that was really unprofessional and that wouldn't happen mm. in real life that no, they, that's yeah. A proper that it, yeah yeah in in the middle of your front room just say oh yeah we found this video of you being raped by the guy anyway and, and there were like clunky bits in there as well there was the bit where like Emma hugged the house when they went to view it the first time. And I know it's meant to be far-fetched and what have you, but I don't think it went far enough for me. I always say this about these thrillers. They they don't feel like sometimes they go bonkers enough for me. 
I didn't want to watch it. I know you did. Because it looks like <laughs> all the crappy ITV things that we had to put up with and Channel 5 and BBC. And the Channel past- 4, come on. The, the, that was the, the you know, the falling down the stairs Christopher Eccleston thing close oh, to me. Yeah. That was cha- That's Channel 4. This yeah. is an equal opportunities shit show for <laughs> posh people in expensive houses with zero personality and I was loath to watch this honestly it just felt like I've seen this before this is boring I've seen this before but you know what <laughs> didn't hate it I think I thought it was better than you guys okay um, as a woman and I hate people who say that as a woman honestly I thought those characters of the lead women mm. were really well written okay to be able to talk about something like uh, the trauma that they went through in such a sparse way but it conveyed so much emotion I was really impressed it's not the kind of thing that gets talked about often I mean I know that you know people are like oh yeah miscarriage awareness but Emma had to be told that her baby had died had to go home mm. and then live with a dead baby inside her which yeah. is actually a thing that happens to people you know have to go through a birth that was in that abortion drama we watched as well, wasn't it? I think exactly. Yes, and I liked how Jane seemed to be very defiant. She could cope with a lot. She seemed very together, but also she had that vulnerability that could make her crumble at any moment. Emma seemed a bit sillier, but I think that's because her boyfriend was quite silly. But that in that moment, when he does find out, not from her, that it wasn't just a burglar with a knife; it was an actual rape. I felt a lot of sympathy for him. I think in that moment, his sort of quite threadbare character actually came together. And I was like, oh, wow, no wonder he's that sad guy who leaves flowers outside the house. Can we just say, though, that Edward maybe just needs to install a banister? Because really, that would have solved a lot of trouble. (laughs) Again, this year's dramas, I think it's it's a good good year for the the banister industry (laughs) well it'd be like super creepy that there's something in charge of your house it's collecting live data on you you give up so Mm. much of yourself to live in this house i mean this is what happens this is what happens when people can't afford to live in london they'll do anything um i'm thinking i don't buy for a, a moment that he's a minimalist if you go around to his actual house i bet it's full of stuff because are you trying to tell me that he threw away his wife's belongings and his child's belongings? I'm sorry, but no, not a I chance. Is the house a metaphor for his emotions, though, rather than his... It feels like yes. his tenants have moved into a gravestone. Yeah. It's really horrible. I think, as Will was saying, I think the performances were good, especially the Emma and Jane characters. Edward... Yeah, you know, I could see why he seems to be quite the catch. But you can't, the power dynamics are so off. You can't date somebody who runs your house like he's Pierce Brosnan in that Treehouse of Horror. I was thinking (laughs) Pierce Brosnan as well, the the one with Marge. Also, how did he get planning permission for that in the middle of like a Georgian terrace in London? (laughs) (laughs) I know that's a minor detail, but I was thinking about it for a little while. I think it's really interesting what it has to say about power dynamics about money and about the things that we give over it does feel a lot like this could have been done in 45 minutes in a black mirror episode you know mm, yeah no it does feel very black mirror but yeah but I, I mean didn't oh. hate it I honestly thought it was gonna be 
schlocky nonsense, like, you know, the, the typical airport novel, but... You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, NM member FDIC. Pretty intriguing. You got more out of it. Did you, I, so are you going to watch the rest? I might, yeah. I've got a feeling there'll be a lot on over Christmas, but I might. Mm. I'll yeah, make I mean, it's all, on the, it's all there now on the iPlayer, yeah. Sarah, you know, if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched any more, but my feeling is that at the end, you will be introduced to yet another woman. And so something will happen to Jane. And then another woman who looks the same will take the house. So that's. Uh, I want Jane to be the conquering hero. I want her to disrupt all this. I mean, my my working theory is that she will try and convince people about it and she'll get carted off to like the not house or something. It's a a classic (laughs) genre trope. Yeah. As you say, maybe they're sort of subverting that a little bit. And hopefully. But yeah, that's all there on the iPlayer now. If you'd like a sort of not very festive binge, but you know, something. If you've had enough of the family and want to just have a, as you say, like one of the airport novel type things that, you know, Sarah certainly felt it had a bit. I could see what you're saying in terms of the substance, but I think I just didn't like the the two, the, the couple characters, Emma and Simon character. I just couldn't get on with them at all. Every time they were on screen, I just sort of switched off almost. But should we do a very British scandal now, Sarah, if you want to set that up? So a very British scandal is the new three part drama from Sarah Phelps. We pick it up in the 1960s, but it goes back to the 50s as well. It's it's a confusing timeline. One of, the, one of those things that Luke doesn't like, but it works. Don't <laughs> worry. So this is basically telling the story of Margaret, Duchess of Argyle, who was a real person, and her marriage and how it completely imploded to this guy, Ian Campbell, the Duke. Early on, we find out that Margaret is mid-divorce. Ian's also been married a couple of times. Isn't he <laughs> married when they start their liaison? Yes, that's yes. right. He's yeah. got an ex-wife yeah. and a current wife, soon to be ex. And yeah. Margaret is, yeah. I think, the third. But who yeah. knows? It's one of those things like with Boris Johnson. You can easily lose count of these sort of things. <laughs> Claire Foy is Margaret. So they start an affair. All their friends know everybody knows it's an open secret they've started an affair margaret wants to marry ian she falls in love with his massive castle not a euphemism (laughs) (laughs) in the scottish highlands even though it needs a full refurb it is falling apart we see quite a lot of parties um we see them do this castle up there's also a shipwreck that he wants to raise from somewhere within his 
um, ancestral lands. Uh, Margaret is the daughter of a millionaire, which is very helpful for Ian. Um, and the current Duchess, whose nickname is Wee Wee, which is rather unfortunate, and just get taken the piss out of. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> um, she's off in a lovely house in Biarritz, basically dealing with the fact that her husband is in all the scandal sheets um, with his new missus. Um, so it looks like it's going to be sexy and fun and <laughs> beautiful but then what half an hour 40 minutes in maybe even less than that we see Ian's true character he does basically just want Margaret as his bank yeah he's horrible she's married someone (laughs) terrible I don't know whether I liked it I really wanted to like it really like Sarah Phelps she's brilliant she's an absolute hero I found this hard to like and I wonder if that's because and this is a jingle I use quite often up until halfway through this was rich people problems Mm. and who is bothered i am not bothered but i think it was that moment when we saw claire foy go home to her mum i was like hang on a minute this is a horrible abusive bullying relationship now i see why you've got a stutter now i see why you want to be a million miles away socially culturally geographically to these people now i can empathize with you and it's at that point where you see their relationship crumble as well the fact that her parents are horrible and she's married a horrible man she's made a terrible mistake i think it's only at that point where i went okay now horrible things are happening i want to watch isn't that awful I feel exactly the same way you did, you know, on this, because I do struggle with upper class problems, rich people. And that's, again, why a lot of those ITV dramas don't work for me. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> they've all got these lovely houses and their worries about you yes, know, their lying life. If they were current, <laughs> they would live in a beautiful, brutalist house in the middle of London as well, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> the sort of machinations of it is that he sort of becomes Duke, doesn't he, halfway through... Because he's basically waiting for his dad to die so he can get more money. And then he learns the amount of money he's got is not going to be nearly enough to pay his debts off. So he sees, oh, there we go. I'll chat up this daughter of a millionaire. Yeah. Be all sort of charming and caddish. And then even before I try and carry her over the threshold or while I'm trying to carry her over the threshold, (laughs) I'm going to show how abusive I am. So that's almost like really on the nose, like as soon Mm. as they've stopped that. But I thought Paul Bettany was tremendous in this because you can understand why all these women sort of fell for him, or I could at least. But then, you know, he turns almost straight away in the scene where she goes, how many people have I married? And then she learns that she has to keep the ex-wife on side. The first ex-wife, because she's born his children. Particularly (laughs) horrible, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not the second. I'd feel sorry for that ex-wife in the middle who just doesn't get anything. (laughs) The American woman who just sort of doesn't get anything apart from probably in quite a nice divorce. But yeah, and it's about, I suppose it's about those sort of social rules. Basically, women get a sharp, sharp shrift, isn't it? And I think that's Sarah Phelps' writing is saying the double standards of women and I think the Margaret character who is very well known in the press and you know there's that conversation I think it's between the wives his his other two wives who say one of them says oh I really like her you know she's been engaged to everyone she's held up as almost like this almost like this sex pot and then the double standards of the man being very and it reminded me actually well of impeachment which Mm. we're watching at the moment or just finished where you know the the women are painted as these 
hussies or what have you and yeah. the men are you know he's just one of the lads blah de blah de blah and that's yeah, not changed yeah. that's no no and changed. I think that's that's <laughs> one of the things that she's trying to say in this is it's like this is you know the double and at one point mm-hmm. she's saying to her friend beautifully played by Julia Davis about you know it's not my fault that I'm good at sex and I like sex <laughs> <laughs> she'd like how people were trying to denigrate her character and mm. she was just sex positive and I She's, think that yeah, I, I get the I, lo- I, I love it. I have a great time. It's fine. Yeah. It's not hurting anybody. <laughs> I get the impression that that is as it goes on and and the sort of the divorce happens. I think that is going to be the the crux of it. Is it sort of dragged through the press and obviously mm-hmm. that opening scene we see we see what he's like straight away because he mm-hmm. has that tête-à-tête where he says yeah. we could stop this now before your life is all your secrets are revealed or whatever and I think they are very strong actors very strong characters and again as we said about all of these shows very well designed great the costumes are fantastic that speedboat was incredible I've never looked a speedboat before it was gorgeous (laughs) what about you Will what did what did you think about this um, I uh, enjoyed it. I, th- I think, as all of us have mentioned, there were some great central performances. Paul Bettany and Claire Foy and Julia Davis gave a, a, a really good performance. It was an interesting, an interesting um, time to look at because it's, it's not something that I was particularly familiar with. So I felt that I was learning something as well as um, enjoying the drama. I think, personally, in comparison to a very English scandal, I preferred a very English scandal in terms of the dramatisation of it and, and the way it was written and, and the characters. It I think I bit, engage with that a bit yeah, more than There was than a this. bit more humour in that, wasn't there, I yeah. think, rather than this goes quite... I mean, that was dark to an extent, but I mm. think the way Russell T Davis writes something, he, he likes to sort of have that balance. As you say, the first half, which was lighter, was rich people problems almost. Yeah, I'll w- probably watch the um, remaining episodes, but it, it, it wasn't something that I think... I engage with as much as uh, a very English scandal, but still an an interesting drama nonetheless, and, and one that I think really highlighted how brilliant uh, both Paul Bettany and Claire Foy are as actors. That they were just totally believable in both of those parts, and and, and you could really see the way that the, the relationship developed and, and the way that Paul Bettany, you know, quite clearly changed from being perhaps a, a bit more charming to being, you know, really quite a, a, a nasty person. And, and I think it was interesting as well, as, as you mentioned, uh, that it started off with seeing his true character right before the divorce proceedings and then going back to seeing how he was a, a bit more charming. I think that that helped in a way because it sort of like gave a bit of a, a signpost of what was to come, which I, which I think helped as a viewing audience that we could sort of believe his darker side as well as his perhaps more, at least superficially charming side as well. It's not a story that people are particularly familiar with. I know I wasn't going into it. You know, people were saying, oh, yeah, it's this famous divorce case. Um, <laughs> and I think it's one of those where if you didn't put that at the beginning, would you be, you know, this is where we're leading up to, this is, you know, would you be as engaged, I suppose, is the question, you know, because there'll be a lot of people who don't know who these characters are, don't really know what the point will be, and I'm assuming quite a chunk of it will be this divorce case and how both are portrayed in the press. This and the, the Jeremy Thorpe stuff as well, it is those famous moments in history that maybe our generation don't know. It's, it's a good way to learn, I think. 
Mm. Comparing this to English Scandal, I think what what it lacks is like the Ben Whishaw character who was more of a normal guy, you know, in terms of class and things like that. Whereas here, your proxy character is Claire Foy's daughter of a millionaire, <laughs> which is well, harder, a lot harder to relate to, <laughs> like someone who's sort of most and maybe that was the problem certainly that I had I think getting into it straight away and as you say it wasn't until halfway through when the horrible stuff started to happen that I was like actually I know where we are now I you know and when the other foot starts to drop and can we just take a moment to feel really sad for those children I was going to say about the children as well so neglected Mm. but that again is is the the fate of all these children in these sort of families i think yeah we've seen it in the crown time and time again mm. haven't we the trouble that it causes down the downtown abbey and when you send like the that. children away and then when they come home they're almost used as props aren't they like dolls to dress up and display for photos and then you well, know they, seen but not heard they were very sort of children of the corn-esque though weren't they we call him <laughs> father not daddy <laughs> <laughs> That's 26th, 27th and 28th. You're listening to the Custard TV Podcast. The official podcast of thecustardtv.com. Finally, we've got a a show I really struggle to pronounce (laughs) because it's The Mesitint, which is uh, Mark Gatiss's Christmas ghost story. We've had a couple of these previously on BBC4. Will, do you want to just walk us through the, the basics of this? Yep, so The Mesotint, uh, the latest adaptation of one of um, M.R. James's ghost stories for Christmas by uh, Mark Gatiss. This is, I think, the fourth one that he has done of the uh, ghost stories for Christmas, the original strand of them uh, in the uh, early 1970s. In fact, this year is the, the 50th anniversary of the airing of the first one, the uh, the stalls of Barchester with Robert Hardy, which if you've not watched it is um, similar to this, uh, another excellent M.R. James adaptation. Um, but in this, the mezzotint, it's set in the 1920s and we follow uh, Edward Williams, played brilliantly by uh, Rory Kinnear, who uh, works in, in one of the um, old English colleges. It's probably Cambridge, but it's never explicitly uh, said. And he runs a, a, a sort of like a minor museum archival of the college. And one day he gets uh, the offer to buy a uh, mezzotint, which is uh, an early type of um, 19th century engraving of uh, a house and um, a lawn. And he, he thinks, well why, well, why am I being offered this? And for the uh, the price of it as well, it seems a, a bit uh, much for uh, a, a mezzotint and a, an early 19th century engraving. It doesn't seem to be, you know, worth the amount that is being offered. But nevertheless, he takes um, the offer up to look at it. Meanwhile, he's attempting to investigate uh, his family history, his uh, genealogical background. But he's having a bit of trouble tracing his great grandfather. He can't seem to get anywhere with him as the um the episode or, or play whichever way you want to frame it progresses we see that the uh, the mezzotint that the picture uh, has almost a life of its own and is related to uh, williams's own past um they've probably been on bbc4 the previous one was in 2019 mm. and that was um, martin's close with uh, peter capaldi Right. I think Simon Williams was in it as well, playing the, the M.R. James-like character. Um, they've, they've been quite sporadic over the past few years. The first one on BBC4 was back in around 2005, 
And then when um, Mark Gatiss started doing them around 2013, they switched to um, BBC Two. I, th- I think right. he's, the first one he did, the track day mid earth in 2013, was on BBC Four. But yeah, I remember that. They've, yeah, they've been on uh, they've been on BBC Two. But as someone who enjoys uh, Mr James's um, stories, I, I very much uh, enjoyed watching this adaptation. The sort of the creeping uh, horror of the picture, which James always does in his stories so well i mean i I know that they're probably not to everyone's taste because a lot of these have got quite a similar basis in that it's an academic find something that's a bit horrible (laughs) and it goes (laughs) on from there if you if you watch most of the uh, most of the adaptations of the mr james stories and read most of the stories they are basically from that premise of an academic usually historian finds something terrible and then disaster occurs so in that way they are a bit similar but i i I always enjoy watching them and watching mark gates's adaptations because i think he's done a a great job with this particular story deck your home with blinds.com diy or let us install free design consultation Free samples and free shipping. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high quality window treatments with no showroom mockups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. <laughs> really wanted to like it. Love Mark Gattis. Didn't think there was much to like here, I'll be honest. Boring golf bros have boring chat. Didn't really understand the academic related part of it. Felt like there was a whole missing storyline there. Yeah, because they wanted to allow women into the into the uh, yeah. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I know. I wanted. To, I wanted to understand more about that. Thank you. Boring. That was the horror story in itself. I think wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Ooh, there's a scary thing contained in a picture. It's not that scary, though, is it? It's like being really scared of a Tamagotchi or Tetris. <laughs> the blocks are not actually going to fall on your feet in Tetris. Do you know what I mean? It was unnerving, unsettling. And then there was the link, you know, ultimately, which was the the sort of scary thing, was that it was linked to his own family tragedy and his great-grandfather. Yeah. It was fine. <sighs> Maybe Inside Number Nine has spoiled this for me, mm. but I really want a twisty twist, not a twist that I was expecting from minute two when I started watching the TV. Am I being unkind? Probably. I think it's being hampered a bit by the fact that these are very old stories and, you know, there's only so much you can tweak this. And I think That's it's true. maybe hearkening back to, as Will said, you know, the ones that were on the TV decades and decades ago were very minimalist very much the the plot structure of this was every time someone looks at the picture it's a bit different is basically mm. what happened <laughs> it's not yeah. the horse following you around the room it's the creature <laughs> creeping across the grass i remember whistle and i'll come to you being mm. properly disturbing like 
give you nightmares kind of thing. But this was just a bit like, oh, look, here's the monster now. Gosh, that's scary. The end. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I did want to question this, actually, because it's always difficult in horror to know whether you should do a monster reveal or not. Mm. Did we think that we saw too much of the monster? Is it scarier to see the monster well lit or should he have stayed in the shadows? That's always a, an interesting thing for people yeah. who watch horror or read horror. But yeah, everyone will have a different opinion on that. Francis Barber was having a great time. Yeah. I was and Robert Bathurst. I thought he was playing his Toast London character. Uh, Rory <laughs> was basically playing what Rory Kinnear plays yeah. in all of the things we see Rory Kinnear. <laughs> he did a great job. But yeah, ugh. Disappointed. It was, yeah, no, I could, I'm sort of somewhere between the both of you, I think. I think, know what they were going for, but it was, so it was very slight. I think that's what you're saying, isn't it, Sarah? It was the, yeah, it wasn't it was a lot. half an hour, but there wasn't yeah. much in it. No, and you were getting what you needed to get about all, you know, this picture. They've seen, there wasn't moonlight in it before, and there wasn't a figure, and now there's a figure, and now there's a grotesque figure, and now there's nothing, and you know, we we all know where where we get, and it would have been a twist if there hadn't have been a <laughs> something come out at the end, or yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah, uh, no, I did, I did like penultimate twist where he thinks he's thrown the painting away, but it's back, and now mm. it's his house. That's like, ooh. In fact, if they'd left it on that, that would have been fine because then yeah. I would have been like, oh my god, is he safe? But to actually have the figure of what we assume to be the hanged poacher crawling through the window was a bit like. Hello, we've been expecting you. And I suppose, again, though, if people are familiar with the text, they would be disappointed, perhaps. You're trying to sort of serve two masters. You're trying to serve the TV audience who maybe aren't familiar with the text, but then people who are and are expecting that to happen and then will be disappointed when it doesn't. Interestingly enough, some um, people who who I know who are also um, fans of M.R. James have actually debated this because there are some people who take the point of view that if you're going to do um, a TV adaptation, obviously they've not seen it yet, if you're going to do a TV adaptation, uh, maybe you should leave it ambiguous as to, you know, the sort of like the actual depiction mm. of the of the creature. Some who were sort of like saying that they'd be disappointed if they do actually um, see it. And then some others who said that they'd be disappointed if they don't see it. So like you say, I think it's, it's difficult in, in terms of, you know, balancing it out for whoever, you know, you're going to disappoint somebody at the end of the day, one way or the other. Do we know how this ends in the book, Will, was what I was going to ask? It ends essentially the same way that it ends in the um, television adaptation, yeah. though, of course, um, you, d- you don't really get a description of the of, of the creature as such. It's more left up to your own imagination mm. as to uh, as to what it so, looks like. So that was pos- the word I was searching yeah. for ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a mystery so, and a horror in the not knowing, isn't there? Yeah. So possibly just hearing the noise and seeing his face would been it would have been enough rather than seeing like this this creature. Yeah, this essentially yeah. this zombie. I, I suppose like us, we we appreciate subtleties, but there <laughs> there is a, a great deal of the audience who likes things spelt out for them. So <laughs> Yeah. But then I don't know how much. Had a bit to drink by the time this yeah. airs, aren't you? So. I don't know how many of them would be watching BBC Two at twenty-five to eleven on Christmas Eve. Though is the other. Yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah that, that's a good point. We've basically spoiled it all for you now. But if you still want to watch it, then I'll get Luke to put timestamps on this. It's fine if you. <laughs> <laughs> they want to watch it. It's uh, it's up on the eye. The other thing I was thinking actually was, 
do you think there would be room to do almost like a series of these or, or do they work better as one-offs at Christmas? You know, because it's well, not a, a genre that's particularly well represented on TV, is it? Mm, the sort of the old-fashioned yeah. ghost story. Well, originally in the 1970s, they did it um, once every Christmas. So uh, the first one, as I said, the stalls of Barchester was in 1971 and then they went on throughout the 1970s uh, with a different one each Christmas up to, I think, about 1976. I mean, I think it depends because the idea of the stories is that it's sort of, you know, told at Christmas, that it's a a ghost story for Christmas. So if if they were to do more of them at another point of the year, another time of the year, then it obviously would have to have a different name. Or if they tried to do more at Christmas, I think Mm. that um, that might... um, just, I suppose, just like yeah. a series of like, I suppose, like Netflix do them from time to time, don't they? But mm. it's not something you see sort of represented on the main channels. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a period of time where they did try and do these mystical, like there was that one with Michael Palin as well. Um, oh, yeah. And Jodie Comer. But they, they seem to shy away from it. You know, they, they mm. like their sort of domestic dramas and their crime <laughs> dramas and things. People and falling downstairs. People falling downstairs, <laughs> exactly. One that goes to push people down the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the twist in the, in the girl before, that it's the ghost of the wife. That's... <laughs> oh, you've spoiled it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. The, the wife's ghost is actually the computer system in the house. of course it is makes perfect sense (laughs) what if that is the ending though sarah and we've just like poo-pooed it now you know he was able to save his wife but he could only put her in a computer (laughs) in the house that he built for her because he'd squished it into a wall that sounds like the ending of an episode of doctor who to be honest (laughs) it's genuinely it isn't it this is it i mean the mezzotint as i said is on the iplayer now Thank you so much, uh, guys, for, again, very short notice. Uh, certainly for Will, it was very short notice. <laughs> yeah, it was like the other day, uh, wasn't it? I think these are shows in the, in the majority that you were uh, eager to watch anyway, weren't they? I don't think we gave you much homework. Uh, do you want to uh, let people know where they can find you and, you know, read you and listen to you? And... <laughs> Not in real life, online, online, online. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I we've got your address, your mother's maiden name and the yeah. four-digit code on the back of your card, please, Will. Your, your, your favourite teacher and your first pet. <laughs> no, I, I think I'll, I think I will um, plead the fifth and not uh, <laughs> and not reveal that. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at WBarbaTaylor. If you'd be interested in listening um, to my podcast, the political podcast, the debated podcast, you can listen at Debated Podcast on Twitter, find it on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and search on most uh, podcasting apps like Spotify or iTunes for the Debated Podcast, and you will hopefully, probably, uh, find it. Bit, bit of a quiet time for you at the moment, though, Will, yeah? Yeah. On the podcast, not, not yeah. a lot going on. Not a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> Did I see you've done a Best of the Year special recently yes. or something like that? So, yeah. So, was that about 12 hours long or something? Well, it was originally uh, an hour and a half, but I managed to cut it down to just under an hour. So okay, so better than us with the the 1996 episode top of the pops, then. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's much more relevant. And and uh, Sarah, same question to you: Where can people find you online? <laughs> your writing and and various other. 
Uh, my witterings on any number of subjects are at Sarah Hamstera on Twitter. I'm also writing for whynow.co.uk about TV and there at the end of the month I'll tell you all of the stuff that you should have been watching in December but obviously you were far too busy having wine and cheese parties. Then I'm also around at Dead Pixel Test which is my beloved blog. And you both write for the cost of TV as well we should say. Yeah, we do. And yeah, you... we are excited to see the changes on the <laughs> new website. Yeah, and um, you both contributed to our best of the year list, which is up there now. I know we will write about impeachment, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Sarah probably wrote about seven different things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know me. Um, and our best of the year podcast as well, which you're we I, I've worked very hard doing maths and uh, doing the the super list of everyone's favourite shows of the year. Will's was I think the one where you shared least with everyone else. Was it? Oh wow! Well. <laughs> Although you you two actually were the only two people to have the serpent in your best of the year list. Oh, so. Really, <laughs> long memories. Even yeah. though it was like last January, February, it's still worth yeah. a watch. Mm, yeah, I I just I I didn't keep up with it myself, but you know it's really fascinating just to see the amount of different shows everyone picks because there's mm. so many, so much variety. But there are two shows at the top. Um, we'll wait for one more list to see what what program comes out on top, and you can find out. Um, I will assume that that's going to be on uh, around the new year after we record it and you will find out. And uh, yeah, that's the next time the Custard TV podcast will be around. As uh, the guys alluded to, the Custard TV will be changing soon. I'm not quite sure. I'm putting well, uh, well, Luke under pressure. <laughs> not Will. No, not me. Um, <laughs> do with me. He's on doing it. Well, did we not tell you that you you know you're in charge of the uh, the redesign? But no, um, so very exciting things coming, and we'll we will talk to you soon on the Custard TV podcast. Thank you very much. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search the Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.